Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yoffcast from May 8th, 2017, featuring poet Simone Carney leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC, Jason Koo. For this month's open mic, we featured seven poets from the newly published Brooklyn Poets Anthology, the first ever anthology celebrating Brooklyn's contemporary poetry scene, including 170 poets from the borough. These seven poets are extra special to us because many of them have been with us yawping since the very first yawp in April of 2013, so we're excited about their work and especially excited to see these poets in the anthology. Before those seven poets, we have ten other poets reading on our regular open mic list, so the complete lineup is as follows. Charlene Guerna, Emily Wilkinson, Cindy Tran, John Marr, Harvey Sauce, Kieran Bath, Phil Eggers, Richard Loeb, Noel Maradovich, Julia Knobloch, Bill Livingston, Chris Roberts, Emily Blair, Ed Tony, Ricardo Hernandez, Julie Hart, and the author of the year, Arthur Russell. So let's get right down to it. Enough talk on my hands. The Brooklyn Post Yop Open Mic for May. Enjoy. Welcome back. How's everyone doing? But Julia, mid thoughts. Thanks for clearing out. That was uh, much better. When everyone goes downstairs, wow, that was a lot easier. It's taken four years for us to figure that out to ask everyone to go downstairs while we uh, reset up the room for the open mic. This is the Brooklyn Poets Yacht Open Mic. Welcome. How's everyone doing? This is the second time tonight. I'm just like, how's the entertainment? Like, I don't know what you expect me to do. <laughs> interested in the anthology we have in the back for sale, $5 off, $20 tonight. We have a number of poets in the room that are yawping with us tonight who will be reading from the anthology, their poems in the anthology. We're going to have a special section at the end of the open mic for those particular poets. And the music has started to get down, so it's my favorite part of the evening. Uh, we just start singing a little bit too loudly, just loudly enough to annoy the shit out of us. Anyway! No, no, we've already met and so I'm just fucking with her. She's actually uh, and I, you know, I support her musical career. Uh, I just wish it would be a little quieter <laughs> while we're reading our poems. Uh, if you haven't been to the open mic before, you get three minutes on the mic. I ask that you please adhere to your time. This has become a little bit of a problem lately. We've been going much, much later than normal. Uh, we should really be out of here by 9.30 at the latest, so please adhere to your time. If you've got more than two pages of poems, and those lines are not short, that's probably longer than three minutes. Just a little pro tip from me to you. Uh, yes, pro tip. Uh, we do record the open mic every month as a podcast, which we publish as the Yawcast. If you don't want to be in the recording for any reason, just tell me. Uh, I can remove you from the recording, no problem. Every month we also vote for a poem of the month. This is decided by audience vote. 
Uh, and the way you vote for Poem of the Month is you can just text me at the end of the night. This is the moment of the night when I give you my number for the first time. This will be coming back several times throughout the evening. The number to text is 718-374-1953. What's everyone doing? I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of side eyes. Like, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly where they're directed. It's, 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 yeah, everyone, I don't know what that is. But that's fine. Like he has Are you writing it down or not? You've been, you had my number already. What are you writing down? It's fine. You can read it. 718-374-1953. It is nice to wait till the end of the open mics so and you've heard all of the poets uh, rather than just voting for your friend. Really, you shouldn't be voting for yourself. It's not really the point of the thing. If you want to, go ahead. Uh, no one will judge you. Except me, if I have your name in my phone. Uh, but if it's anonymous, you probably get away with it. Uh, every month, the winner of the Poem of the Month award then gets lined up for our Poem of the Year contest, which happens at the December office. So last month, I think the winner was Kelly Gimmick-Garter for her Alien Poem, if you remember that. And uh, who else is here that's won Poem of the Month last year? Sarah was here, right? Shara Harbison is here, great poet. Won, what month did you win? March? Today? February? And I saw Sarah earlier, right? Yeah. Sarah, you won like in January, December? Yeah. Okay, so they will be here in December, facing off, teeth gnashing, as they uh, throw down with their palms of the room. Uh, what am I forgetting? I'm forgetting something. Speak into the mic. That is something you usually remind me of. I've reminded you to remind me of it. Please speak into the mic. It helps with the recording. If you speak way back here, you're not going to sound as good. If you're interested in sounding good, if you're interested in being awesome, please read into the mic. Man, this is an interesting energy. What's up with this energy? Okay, well, let's just get started. Uh, our first poem of the night is the professor you just took a workshop with. Give it up for Simone Carney. sits and sees rain on the TV and mouths bugging up in a mirror, 
close enough to be precise and concrete. Promise of entire face. She is her own little helper, fictional protrusion, a kind of nude without need for organs, like a photo she would have read about, description of nostalgia for grass, analogical enough to be language, <coughs> standing for mutilated fact, hand though cerebral. Hand as idea doused in flesh bounces up, falls, geometric convulsion in armchair or flab in wash basin. This is the domain breaking off like a lighting on a field, space without form or dust on giblet. It is going in opposite directions, jelly apparition. It is hair laid out like a taste everywhere. Manual forms of space shaped like the inside of a palm. I am cushioned by what I see, each perception limpid, friction against steam. All of these aspects you float to, of course. Only she could have been replaced by the hard white grains of something outgrown. She is optical fork in moose, coagulated on porch in heels. Cognition parts like tributaries of whitish, not so much ascending like a life as redness leaks blue hormones, ruined balloon sleep in your eye, night's chair. Thank you, Simone. Our next poet of the evening is Charlene Buena. Give it up for Charlene. state of mind, I guess. Um, 
and it's called Vacation State of Mind. <laughs> um, before the picture was taken, I asked myself, how can I make this poetic somehow? <laughs> but poetry is everywhere, no? It's in the serene humming of the sea, the way the breeze tickles my chunky cheeks, the thickening in the filling of free, disguised in fruit-colored swimsuits and eyebrows on fleek. Warm, petal-soft kisses from the sun turn into a revelry in gorge nights and self-control undone. Laughter and drinks still mingle in my throat as pool water covers me like a toddler's onesie coat. Except this is not home, but love away from home. The enchantment you discover when you roam. This place is the carpe diem our brains have thought up, the 101 reasons to get caught up. I return back home, not even close to blemish free, missing the way the stars twinkled with epiphanies. Sin and self-indulgence always led me astray. The bad girl in me whispers, you were made to go out and play. <laughs> Thank you, Charlene. Uh, who's that book you have? Is that like a... Oh, uh, my friend bought it for me from the dollar store. It says, stop dreaming, start doing. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's got like a rainbow cover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get one. <laughs> okay, our next poet is a two-time Brooklyn workshop student of mine, a very fine poet, excited to hear her up here. I think it's the first time at the Broken Poets Yacht Open Mic. Give a warm welcome to Emily Wilkinson. who's ever wondered what happens in the mind of sofas. <laughs> it's called What Hank's Sofa Longs to Say to Hank's Radio. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm useless. <laughs> I have a lot of love to give. I hug Hank when he's tired or wants to relax. Remember when he stayed all night on me? or when he sobbed into my pillows after Sarah broke his heart? Don't tell him this, but I was relieved. He did things with her on me that I did not enjoy. <laughs> the thing about Hank, though, is he is needy, and I can't stand up for myself with him, whereas you never stop giving. I soak in your sounds all day. When Alison from Queens calls to complain about the state of education, I listen. When you play speechless, I listen. When your traffic announcements or weather forecasts fill the room, I listen. Oh, Hank's radio, you are small, I am huge. You are shiny, I am worn. You are full of music, I am silent. I'm afraid if I could talk, my words would not be as smart or melodious as yours. They would be simple. I want to slip into your waves and feel what it is like over there near the warmth of the oven. I want to feel your hardness. I want to be the place where you land 
I want to envelop you between my cushions <laughs> as we say goodbye to our forms. Thank you, Emily. I'm going to look at my couch the same way. That was Emily Wilkinson. Keep the score at home. Before that was Charlie Werner. Oh, is this your ring? Oh, okay. Fancy, okay. Nice. Is Isabel Gardaki here? Yeah, now you just do the slow shake of the head. You don't see negatives anymore. <laughs> Next up is another former Brooklyn Poet student of mine. They came, I think they signed up together, or one of them signed up, both of them. A very fine poet. Give it up for Cindy Tran. A true account of talking to the moon in an empty parking lot. After Frank O'Hara. Hey, fair lady, fill me with your howling. Oh, moon, thanks for the shiny hair, moonlit face, and dreamy eyes. But I think you've mistaken me for a white woman poet. I'm Asian American. Give me a break. Okay, so no who? Huh? Moon, what does this empty parking lot do for you? It's just asphalt and lines with abandoned wheels, glints of gasoline stains, and pigeon feathers in the corners. I was looking for you before, but I only get a view of concrete from every window at home. Looking for inspiration, I see. I asked you to moan. I asked you to show me your private parts. And you say my name like I embarrass you. Look, I'm a loyal follower, but I'm no lunatic. I can't moan and show you my private parts in such a public place. You are the moonstruck one, remember? Your loyalty doesn't matter because I'm leaving and taking my merry time. What? Why? When? No need to phase out. I will leave as fast as your fingernails grow. I have other duties, astronomical laws to obey. What do you take me for? A plaything of crime stories? A mere spectator of Manhattan Henge? A cliché of nighttime? A space dump? I... Never mind. You're new to this, I know. I have been watching you from afar. I have seen you grow. Your faint bones are made of decayed cockroaches and calcified bats. Your blood has been recycled from Chinese tigers, tumbleweed, and deep-sea mollusks. Now you spread ink to find things. Your guts, your place in the world, feelings, and worst of all, how to be human. You are human. Though you might look like an illegal alien in a certain dim light. Love can be cruel sometimes. Consider this. No one knows where I came from, but thousands of stories have me pinned down while I dance around and bask in the light. I'm part from here and part from some faraway place. Let the universe color you just as you color it. Be blue, be black, borrow a halo and eclipse the sun. Drink a lot of moonshine. Learn to fall more slowly and notice 
that gravity isn't heavy everywhere. Even a little weight can slow down the earth, not with a push or a pull, but with some torque, a little twist. Poet, you're full of silence. Speak to me. I'm getting old and gray, so I only take the most unreasonable requests. I just want to write one poem that's not a piece of shit. Well then, you're on your way, moon child. Thank you, Cindy. I'm Cindy Tran. The Soffit here, the Tespich. Okay, on to our next poet. He works for Publishers Weekly. He was kind enough to promote the Book of Poets Anthology, sat down with me in Japan over uh, several beers. Uh, it was like we had to, yeah, anyway. Never enough. Give it up for John Marr. Which happens all the time. Read any Billy Collins poem. It's insane. It's like it's completely insane. And then it and then it turns back into a poem about Mark Strand. So this is called Light Is Dim. <laughs> it was meant to be. It really was. <laughs> I am opening up a dream like an old cedar box with bronze hinges slow to open. In it, the moon lies flat, a bright pocked amulet left by someone another time. Perhaps just polished, it shines out with light that, while not bright, illumines the whole of the room. Furrowed timber stairs, high beams and cracked windows, a lamp unlit. Blue table cover folded on a wicker love seat, grapes and vines adorning the old moldings. Is that someone there through the north pane? A shadow moves outside in the dark as if on air, even here, three stories up from the wet grass. Its movements are shaky, turning slightly there for a look through the glass to the attic where the moon, or its memory, waits to be taken up by two rough hands, to be threaded and hung, low and with purpose, around some ready neck. Thank you. Nicely done, John Marr. I agree with that observation, especially Mark Strange. Lots of light in his poems. Next up is Harvey Sauce. Give it up for Harvey. This one is called Art History. I don't think there's any moon or light in it, but we'll see. <laughs> it wasn't Rome you were lecturing on, nor the honey pot of Mesopotamia, tucked balls up between Tigris and Euphrates, so dug by hippie archaeologists with their rainbow bands and girlish hands, flicking aside topsoil with painterly brushes, chorusing 
wow at each bit of ceramic found. It wasn't the totemic narrative of Amerindian art or drawings freshly discovered on cave walls in France altering our perception of graffiti crazy Neanderthals, seeing more than a bit of them in ourselves, which genomic sequencing seems to bear out. <laughs> Leading us to question is how could we not origins of Basquiat and Banksy our own inception? Now the day I have in mind was late 15th, early 16th century Italy, a slideshow renaissance on the drop-down screen rapidly holding our attention, 30 or 40 of us leaning forwards in a darkened auditorium, as if IMAX raptors were like to jump into our laps. Your words, heavy as Jansen's multi-volume history of art, <laughs> anchoring us, or somebody took it, anchoring <laughs> us off the coast of consciousness, outweighing organic chemistry and introduction to physics combined. How quickly you got to the point, coring the golden apple of a golden age, more cleanly than a vegematic, though considerably less screechily, as you wielded your pointer like a conductor's baton, eliciting comment and rejoining with correction. More than one amen was muttered sotto voce in this big tent of revelation. You are our Magellan. With you, we circumnavigated the globe. Ever the father bird to his fledgings, you shared out chunks of Da Vinci, Titian, Michelangelo. I particularly loved how chiaroscuro rolled off your tongue. At other times, I would puzzle out with you the Rubik's Cube of Picasso, fight with you over Guernica and its meaning. On the Sphinx, take flight over pyramids at Giza, dance on point with pink ladies to God. Yours was the only class I looked forward to, the only class I didn't routinely cut, believing I knew more than would be taught. Conceitedly, in studio art, I couldn't turn a simple ceramic bulb. Yet all these years later, I still go back to Jansen and you the microfiche of art history I stored away for inspiration to help me carve an image out of writer's body. Thank you, Harvey. Reminds me of auditing art history. <laughs> Art history is the best class to audit because uh, this is like a totally privileged thing to talk about, but let's just talk about it. Because uh, you know, you just like get to go and listen to these brilliant people lecture and look at pictures. <laughs> you know, it's amazing, and then you don't have to like do the essays or anything. So uh, I long for those days. Art history auditing. Anyway, enough about me. Next up is a very good poet we heard from her a couple months ago. She made her Yacht debut. Give it up for Kieran Bath. Australian. 
And one of the most fascinating things of moving to New York is confronting all the subcultures here, and in particular how the first generation narrative has played out in um, my counterparts, so um, first generation Indian Americans. And that's kind of what's going on in this poem. 20 something. I can't get these girls out of my head. A 20 something siren stenciled from the bravest part of me. A paper doll chain, shaded in my hue, burning faster. Unfazed by any good Indian girl bullshit. Unperturbed by blood ink honor rolls. These wildflowers mount thorns. Hell, they eat for two and grow them thick within their buds. How else to weapon within? They blossom with subversity. Here she is, riding the L train. Unapology streaming from her armpits. There she is, wearing her mother's dowry jewels. Her Sunday best, she calls it, blood, sweat, and questions inherited. Here I am, whitewashed. A parental dream in pantsuit and pearl studs. My culture has a time and place. My sexuality a single designation. I pull the vine of them from my bra and scatter them into tiny screen squares on my screen. And now I stalk them incessantly. My alter egos dart from digital dollhouses and into my sheets. Pussy, 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 marijuana. <laughs> I couldn't do that without laughing. It's a Brazilian Blares from my mind's eye. My head is pounding, and I'm already a half hour late. I exhale the J with everything that's left in me, and I ask one of them, how do you do it? She's all toe rings and faded henna. Oh, that brown girl shit is the thing over here. Pressed up to my ribs, it's falling in reverse, she needs, tracing temple to navel. Start flattened, finish hungry for a new ending or a new beginning, I offer. What's the difference? I'm lost in her nose piercing and I want to know about the men. A cameo of pale-limbed artisans, fishing rods over their shoulders, marching into Bushwick bedrooms. Whenever hunted, she corrects. I reach for her wrist like, let me wear you. She holds a lighter to her hair instead. And it's the fastest I've smoked anything. See, now I'm inside of you, she teases. I'm trying to be a pro, but I choke. It's too late for me. I can't contain any poison not of my making. I'm too big on self-medicating. My way of being helpless. Maybe when I see them as sisters, not tragedies. Maybe when I'm not threatened by their silk throats or thirsty for their mistakes or when the starkness of my curiosity against their cool apathy fades, and I'm done bridging the gap of our girlhoods, that is to say, the cracks in my selfhood. Until then, daughters of new world colonialism, wait for me. Thank you, Kieran. Alan just muttered, girl with Australian accent. I think that means he's from Sophia. That was Kieran Bath. Before that was Harvey Suss. Before that was John Marr. Our next poet has a great last name. Give it up for Phil Eggers.
Thank you, everyone. Um, I wrote this over the winter, uh, and I read it at the Poet Settlement then, so I know a few of you have heard this before, so bear with me. But I wanted to read it here since it is about this neighborhood. It's amazing how fast the imagery changes. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a not necessarily about here, but it takes place here. It's called Cornerstones. The community bookstore on Court Street closed down a couple of months ago. They put up those blue wooden walls around the building with city permits posted on them. There's plywood in the windowsills, and the sign looks long gone. I guess he sold all of those books after all, he thinks to himself. He'd only ever been in there once before a few years back. Didn't even get the book he wanted either. He wanted Bukowski, but bought Baudelaire to impress a girl who wrote haikus and swore to speak French. Yet, come to think of it, he now, he never really heard her say anything past, Je m'appelle la tigre. <laughs> Alors, bonjour, ça va? Oui, je m'appelle la tigre. <laughs> In the end, it ended up being a nice collection of poems, and she was a sweet girl, and it was a good night. They say you're not a New Yorker until you've seen a building be three different places. Looking at this empty bookstore he barely knew, it felt like it was happening for the first time. Sure, he'd seen bodegas get reborn and rebranded, undergo numerous renamings and various elective cosmetic surgeries. Zito's sandwich shop became Bon Chovy, fresh fish fast for fuck's sake. <laughs> but those were never anything more than metaphorical church tower clocks ringing as a quarter after three. This, this one felt different. How could sacred spaces be gutted? How can some so easily say farewell? Who said cornerstones could erode? He'd like to stop and be sad for a moment, but he has job interviews lined up at the restaurants and bars on Smith Street. So he sighs and turns the corner on Warren. What else is there to do but walk down the block hoping? A building is just a building, and memories are only memories too. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Uh, our next poet of the evening is Jackie Broderick. Yeah. Richard Lowe. Yes, Richard Lowe. Oh, there he is. He's right over there. I, 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 I said negative to the first one. All right. Richard's wearing a special shirt that matches a special hat. Give it up for Richard Lowe. Richard Lowe, and uh, this is Mucky, written by Richard Lowe. <laughs> it's been said if you throw enough shit against a wall, some of it will stick. It's often said if you place a bunch of monkeys in a room full of typewriters, they'll eventually create a masterpiece. If enough monkeys threw their shit against the wall, <laughs> might that somehow qualify as a masterpiece? They say you can see the writing on the wall, but could you if it was written in monkey paper? <laughs> if you throw enough monkeys against the wall, will some of them stick, or will they all bounce off and run away chatting? I say unto thee, 
But those amongst you who is without sin, for the first contact. <laughs> you do when it tumbles, rest assured. A rolling monkey gathers no moss. For although they are omnivores, moss is not part of their diet. I think we can all agree that people who live in glass houses definitely shouldn't throw monkeys. <laughs> They say a watched monkey never boils. But I wouldn't want my monkey to boil anyway. Which is why I always watch my monkey. Show me your monkey, I'll show you mine. I've been monkeying around for a long time and wonder. Does a monkey in time save mine? If so, I don't know what I would do with my monkey. Though they say a monkey a day keeps the doctor away. So I suppose nine monkeys will keep nine doctors away. Yet they say a fool and his monkey are yes. soon parted. And I can be rather foolish, so I'm quite certain my stockpile of monkeys would soon be diminished. I'm not trying to put all my monkeys in one basket, as I am hoping to save at least one monkey, since a monkey saved is a monkey earned. Lick your finger. That's what they all say. Has anyone ever mistaken the word monkey for money? Attempted to monetize monkeys from currency. Imagine shopkeepers' surprise when patrons yank out their monkeys placed upon the counter only to scurry away. They say the monkey doesn't fall far from the tree, but if he falls in the forest, does he make a sound? If you feed a man a monkey, you feed him for a day. But if you teach a man to monkey, you feed him for a lifetime. When you have monkeys, make monkey aid. But keep in mind that all that glitters is not monkey. Experience has taught me monkeys speak louder than words. Especially if the monkey's got your tongue. You can't please every monkey. But still, tis better to have monkey than lost. And to never have monkey they're always trying to build a better mouse trap, but how about a better monkey trap? More challenging since monkeys are smarter, tougher to capture. While they say you shouldn't have a chip on your shoulder, it's probably safer than having a monkey on your shoulder. Instead of a cock and bull story, how about a cock and monkey story? I've been thinking about adopting a monkey, but I'm uncertain if I have the proper skills. There has been much debate among monkey parenting groups. If your monkey is bad, should you spank your monkey? <laughs> Some say, spare the rod and spoil the monkey. While others say, no good monkey goes unpunished. Yeah. And I find it sad. It's always the good ones who suffer. In parting, I'll remind you to all always remember, before you can love others, you have to love your monkey. <laughs>
shot that one. Such a strange film. Uh, quite marvelous. I feel like the outfit definitely was appropriate. Uh, I feel like also appropriate was I was tweeting one of the lines from the poem and Loeb was autocorrected to Alien. Just thought you should know. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea why, but uh, seemed to make sense. Okay, thank you. That was Richard Loeb. Before that was Philip Eggers. Before that was Karen Bath. Our next reader has two hearts on either side of her name. I have no idea who put them there except probably her. Give it up for Nawal Moradovich.
the day that the abortion ended in Europe. So I brought two poems about my grandparents. The first one is, um, has the title of a town in Czechoslovakia. What was that in Czechoslovakia? It's called Jablonez. Amidst tall pines, stars, and doors, my grandparents climbed up snow-covered hills, skis on their shoulders, before they were engaged. What is left are sepia snowball fights, overexposed, confident men racing through silent powder, a flash of light. Grandmother Hilda wears a black swimsuit, cocks her head and readjusts her bathing cap. Followed by her sister-in-law, great aunt Lotte, she runs into the lake near the river dam. My father in a baby carriage under birch trees. Overexposed, confident men rock the boy imprudently. They are embarrassed. It is a woman's thing to do. Great-grandmother Martha, heavy bosom and a scarf, sits in the birch tree shadow, shakes her head. An hour's drive away was Terrazin. Before I left for the New World, my father took me back one time to the land of brick chimneys in summery valleys, lakes and glass-blowing artists, hidden drops and mystic giants, vintage spa and winter sport resorts. My grandfather excelled in ski, ski jumping. All five brothers did. Great Aunt Lotta was the only girl, the youngest. Their father owned the first automobile in town. His factory made custom jewelry. I don't know what else. The premises are still there. I take a photo of my father sitting in the yard where he used to play after school, as long as there was school. Buttery flowers peek through brown fences of my aunt. In the cemetery, the crooked gravestones of my ancestors date back to 1740 and beyond. Martha donated a window for the church. King David placed a harp. Many mailboxes hang outside the house where my father was born. More people live there now than just a factory owner with his wife, two small sons, and tenants in the basement, a young couple with an infant son. My father won't forget the women's screams when she received notice of her husband's death. Steel heels clashed together, Heil Hitler. She cried for days, my father sobs. Before his family left two years after the war, when he was nine, his mother threw his treasured, treasured comic books into the trash because they were in Czech. That was not nice of her, my father said. The afternoon light is late, a heavy yellow. Amidst birch trees, tall pines, and dandelions, I run into the lake near the river dam. Not even great Aunt Lotta wanted ever to come back. Her infant son died somewhere between her old and new life. He is buried on the roadside. Old Colts. When I was young, I loved to spend time with my grandmother, my mother's mother, Hannah, who was born on St. John's Eve in southern Poland in 1921. I remember her in the state-subsidized South German post-war tenements, grinding poppy seed for the dessert she baked. No, have some more, she would insist, and pour warm brown butter over my plate. She ate whole garlic cloves and giggled, call me Meshuga, when we came to visit. She loved cats, a sip of flavored brandy, red currants, a TV show called Dolly Dolly. The summers then were endless hot days on balconies or by the village creek. Sometimes, she took my cousin and me to public pools and swimming holes. She sewers printed dresses and stuffed animals. She learned to drive a car when she was 16. 
No, I had to, she explained in that fatalistic tone. My husband was sick and died. I was alone. Though she still rode her bicycle to fetch groceries at the farmer's market, quietly humming. To evoke her share of a piece of luck, framed four-leaf clovers hung on her kitchen's wall. I was impressed she had found them all. My grandmother had three daughters from three men. My grandmother was not progressive, nor did she lead an open marriage. She covered up the past in fear and shame. She never told me how one unknown man became my mother's father, back then in southern Poland during the war. What did you do there, Grandma? No, I had to make a living. My husband fought the Russians. My mama died young. I had to support my ailing father. I imagine her at 22, riding her bicycle to work through the nostalgic meadows of Central Europe, past blue bottles, swaying rye, red poppies. One day she returned home pregnant. One winter night she creased herself, the sickly father, a box of diapers and the infant onto the last train that went west. Random tracks brought them to Hamburg, not to Dresden. What did you do in southern Poland? Where did you meet my grandfather? No, let's not break old Silesian codes. Have some more poppy seed and butter. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Uh, we, so we are on to a special portion of the evening uh, featuring seven poets from the Little Poets Anthology who are in the room with us this evening. I uh, just wanted to say a few words about um, them and the anthology in general. It's not important, you can leave. Uh, thanks, sorry. thanks for coming. Um, you know, this, this book is very, obviously very important to me, but um, it is very heavy as well. It took a lot, took a lot of work. Um, surprisingly, not getting tired. I can probably hold this one on like dying. I'm just feeling so pretty. Uh, but it's a, it was a very organic process, and probably these next seven poets are, uh, if not the ones I'm most proud of in the anthology, among the ones I'm most proud of because uh, not just that they're good poets, but they're really a testament to the community that we built here, especially the Brooklyn Poets Yacht that not everyone comes to. You know, you know, poets have different reasons for writing and. Some poets just like to write by themselves and send their work out, publish it, kind of just like live in isolation. Other poets are very social. Some poets like to teach. Some poets don't like to teach, and so on and so forth. Uh, but these poets are kind of a combination of, I think, everything. They embody a lot of the community values that I like. They're they're very serious about their craft. They come here, take the workshop, and they also share their work, of course, and they're fantastic readers. But they're also really gregarious and kind and caring towards other poets, and they come back every month. You know, and, and that FaceTime is really important. Um, it's not just important for becoming a poet and publishing your poems, but it's important for building communities. So I just feel like that old sort of ivory tower model that, you know, we're like, we're like Yates in the tower writing. I just feel like, it, I mean, I love Yates, but it's just an, it's an old, tired model, especially in 2017 with Donald Trump as president. So if my recommendation, exhortation to all of you is to actually go out to poetry events and, and meet people. You know, meeting people is the crucial thing. Uh, being diverse in theory or in your mind, being politically active all in theory or on social media is one thing, but actually getting out and talking to other people is, is where it begins. So uh, hats off to these poets in particular. You're going to hear them one by one. No need to applause for all of them yet. Yes, all of us together. Uh, so they're all going to read a poem from the anthology. Uh, 
single pumps. Maybe he has multiple pumps. Uh, and hopefully you will enjoy it. So our first poet from uh, the Book and Poets Anthology is Bill Livingston. Give it up for Bill. Thank Jason and Joe Pam for putting in here. Quite an honor. Um, this is a poem about the post office on Atlantic Avenue between 3rd and 4th <laughs> Avenue. No. And, uh, yeah, and uh, it's, um, I'm actually sad it closed because it was just such a huge cesspool of misery and <laughs> anger and yelling and the worst customer service ever. And um, so just please picture this poem as a Yelp review. <laughs> One star. Because you can't give anything zero stars. For some reason. This is uh, Atlantic, Atlantic Terminal. Getting through the double doors is a hell in itself, choreographing the impossible dance with larger parcels. This ballet requires an extra set of Samaritan hands. Then the heart sinks when you see the line for one window. But I got here early, you say to yourself. Setting the, your package on the filthy wet linoleum, you're standing and fuming, barely moving, held hostage by the government once again. <laughs> one damn window open. The line begins to grow like the delicate stem of a rain-soaked mushroom under the rotting shiitake cap of shared misery. <laughs> the lucky one steps up at the padlock sound and light. Green wool coat, early 60s, as wide as she is tall, spewing, wanting everyone to know her theories. Dr. Skaborkian was convicted by a jury of his own peers. What he failed to ask was, who are my peers? No one looks at her except for me because I like to stare into the face of crazy. <laughs> so I can see the stranger of logic staring back into the mirror, telling me who my peers are. The door squeals with a rush of cold, repelling air. Man, look at this fucking line. Open more damn windows. Finally, a welcome voice of reason. I look back at him, nod as he cues up, shaking his head and the rain from his coat. We're set in our mission, as she lets everyone know. And the doctors in Haiti who killed my sister, where did they go to school? Did they butcher a cow to learn how to heal? I had to go. I had to come here. I had to escape my Haiti. The civil servant behind the smudged bulletproof plexi moves slower than a femur rescue, as we can all hear them in the mailroom behind the windows, laughing and playing mockingly like baby goats. <laughs> Safe, secure, unionized baby goats. <laughs> now is her time to shine, to make her escape. But no, she repeats, Dr. Kaborkian was convicted by a jury of his own peers. What he failed to ask was, who are my peers? Yes, darling, one book of forever stamps, please. <laughs> and then the new window opens, ding, and the jury in line watches in envy as I step up to send something to a much better place. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. You can all definitely empathize.
now I mail stuff from my own home. It's a really revolutionary thing. Now mailing, mailing shit from your own apartment. I recommend it. Anyone else do that? You're all looking at me. Oh, like that crazy. Know, you're the crazy one. You go on post office. That's crazy. Tell me how fast. <laughs> Our next poet, sometimes confused with me, give it up for Chris Roberts. Yeah. <laughs> a little high. That's good. <laughs> All right. This is from a longer poem about my grandparents. Uh, I lived with them for a little while. This one's called October. When the doorbell rang, I let it go. They must have gone away. It rang again. A princess, Batman, Tweedledum stepped in along with someone's mom. I stared at them. Grandma cut in so happy I fell back and lingered on the downstairs landing thinking, I'd make a better Batman than that kid. <laughs> My sister, who'd been left alone too long, joined Grandma, copying the smile she had. Pop-Pop laughed at something on TV, and that was it. I said, can't we just go around the block? My parents let us go. Then who'd be home to pass out treats, said Grandma. Pop-Pop can't. He isn't doing much. But you don't have a costume for tonight. But Grandma, please, I promise I'll be good. Electron surged in me. I tasted yes. But Grandma shook her head. I'm sorry, Chris. The weather's just not good enough for that. But Grandma, why? You got your answer, Chris. Pop-Pop barked over a commercial break. Accepted and move on. But Pop-Pop, why? His show returned. Hey, Pop-Pop, I asked why. Chris, come and help me in the kitchen, please, Grandma asked, which left me with no choice. The blender full of ice cubes sat plugged in near Dixie Cups and orange concentrate. My sister measured orange concentrate. Dad let me use the blender once I'm used. Mom said we made a mess, so now I can't. So now you'll get another chance, said Grandma, to do it right. She demonstrated how to pulse so that the ice was crushed just right. Holding down the lid and helping me, her hand was like a framework for my own. The blender screamed, released from being stored in quiet space. Power wallpapered my mouth. But better were the cups my sister filled, but we drank up. I took one out to pop up. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, our next poet of the evening needs no introduction. Give it up for Emily Blair.
Paul from As the World Turns. <laughs> Paul never changes his mind, and he's not afraid of anything. Not dental appointments, or dinner dates, or being declared dead a third time. <laughs> when he gets a note from his nemesis that says, meet me at Shadow Cliff, Paul doesn't suggest a more public place. He rushes right off. <laughs> Wouldn't it be good to be Paul? <laughs> However, Paul, I would no longer waste time Googling rare diseases or asking myself if I should shift careers and go back to school because the only course I'd be taking is a collision course of destiny. <laughs> I would be nervous. I would stand here on this lofty ledge and get all up in your face. And when you turn away from me, I'd talk to your back. Pausing weirdly after every statement, so my words sink in. <laughs> and I don't wonder how when to end that conversation without being awkward. In fact, I'd be willing to let I'll take you down with me be my final words. <laughs> so even when I feel my fingers slipping on crumbling rock, I won't rethink my strategy. I'll plunge decisively into the cold water and then pop up not knowing who I am, even after weeks of recuperation in a remote cabin under the care of a mysterious nurse who tells me, don't try to talk, and hides my mom for reasons of her own, so when I reappear in town to watch my own memorial service from behind a pillar, the first I've heard of all of my misdeeds. But rather than take the time to reassess and set new life goals, I'll decide to do it all again, and this time, I'll take you down with me. <laughs> Sundays we had to go to my grandfather's church, so that's where most of this comes from, and I was scared and petrified to go to the Baptist church, but this kind of explains. The Baptist ground. Oh, preacher, you don't know the ground? If you ain't born of the deep, deep south, eating yellow grits, hog mars, and crackling, with red dirt scars on your knees and elbows, 
If you ain't got a hole in your gut from grandma giving you a shot of castor oil, a keloid from the thin whipping weeping willow switch, you just got a whipping on the tender rope with. If you ain't hung no cross around your neck, carved from a sycamore tree in 108 degree while sipping grandma's iced tea and reciting all the songs without looking before 6.30 a.m. If you ain't sat in church, sun up to sun gone, not wiping sweat off your brow with your index finger, tapping that hardwood floor to the sweet sounds of some backyard boys harmonizing, going up yonder. If you ain't baptized all 280 of your church members since the first generation born, round back of that church in that muddy river, everybody wearing white robes and humming, waiting in the water. If you ain't learned everything you know from God and ain't probably been no further than elementary school and you're blessed, great, great, great grandpappy preached and his daddy and his daddy and his daddy too, then you best know how to growl up that holiness from the pews in your chest. Sanctify some spit from the old white church paint chippings off your tongue. Throw your head back, gurgle growl, then blessings into words. Make juke joint folks shout, do the Holy Ghost dance. Make grandma's knees get strong. Go ahead, run Nana, run Nana. Make Uncle Pete shout like James Brown. And make Jesus, make Jesus grab his binoculars to take a look. <laughs> And motherfucking Tony. Love that guy. That was that Tony. Before that was Emily Blair, Chris Roberts, Bill Livingston, Julia Knobloch. Our next poet of the evening was here at the very first Broken Poetry Open, in April of 2013. Give it up for Ricardo Hernandez. Since 1923, and a lot of families reside beneath me. With all kinds of visits from residents and non-residents alike. During the fall, they'll be here only on days and nights that are bearable. During the winter, they'll be up here only and only if global warming becomes globally warmed. During the spring, they'll rush up here anticipating the warmth but run back down when the rain sets in. During the summer, they're always here. Some come up to tan, stretch nearly naked bodies across mine. Others form ciphers, friends and brothers for the ritual blunt smoke. Some nights, they drink as if contents held within bellies won't spill out on me. Occasionally, when the few visible stars are out, they fuck. And when most of the city is asleep, 
vandals make their appearance, utilizing my vertical skin as their canvas of choice. Dutch master guts emptied out all over. Oil bottles, spray paint cans, fifths of Georgie vodka, and used condoms can be found scattered across me, as if my feelings don't matter at all. After witnessing these acts of what could only be described as debauchery, I ponder when will they stop using me for their dirty deeds. These humans, young and old, wise and foolish, the using is what's getting me upset. Maybe I'd like to join the cipher, or drink, or paint, or tan, or fuck. But I ask myself, how does a rooftop fuck? <laughs> and I figure it might be in the way we don't hold on to those that leap off. That was Ricardo Hernandez. Should have mentioned that Ricky was the first Yawper of the Year, which Arthur uh, was kind enough to say at the Dr. Watch Party. It's a very difficult award title to explain to people. Uh, but what the Yawper of the Year is, it's the annual award that we give out at the end of every uh, at the end of every year, obviously, uh, to a poet that is obviously great on the mic, but also, uh, as we talked about, a great supporter of other poets in our community. So. Uh, it's a great honor. You're the first. Uh, you'll, always have, you'll always have that. It's like, it's like a cat winning a title. We'll always have that. Um, yeah, we can talk about it when we're like 80. You're like, I have the offer of the year. You have the cats in 2016. It's the only time Cleveland ever won. Uh, but maybe this year. Our next poet of the evening was the offer of the year after Ricardo Hernandez. Give it for Julie Hart. Are you going to read your one poem? Or are you going to read something else? I'm going to read, read something else. That, that thing that you 
When he could no longer reach the control that made his bed rise, he invented a string with a three-eighths inch nut tied to one end and looped over the bed rail to help him fish it up. Patient as a prisoner planning an impossible escape, he loved his engineering. He loved his invention. He loved his mind. His weight dropped. His eyes were failing. Sunday afternoons that autumn, we were watching the Jets when he said, shake me. I looked at him sideways. He blinked and smiled winsomely, almost coquettishly, like a high cloud on a summer day. Like a baby, he said. Shake me like a baby. I knelt to stride him on the bed and threaded my fingers under his shoulder blades. I lifted a little, then let go. Faster, he said, like the air rushing out of a tire when you depress the pin on the valve. So I went faster. Maybe one pulse every two seconds, up an inch and down again. Then he began a moan, but so low I could not hear it, only a vibration in my chest. And the whales off Manhattan Beach breached and fell back into the water. It was crying, but not the regular kind, because he was talking with someone I had never known. And then he fell asleep. I got off the bed and sat in the chair again, and the jets were losing. And the linoleum was thick with wax. And I imagined the factory in Germany where they make linoleum, big steel rollers, the smell of bitumen, and I dreamed they were slicing the linoleum into squares and putting it into boxes. And then we both woke up, and I went home. The next week, he said, I asked mother to shake me like a baby. She said no, embarrassed. Then I mounted the bed found his shoulder blades, and did it again. Strange massage for the place that his heart had ceased to serve, and this time he moaned loudly and shivered and dropped into a thick, robust, snoring sleep, as if it was 1943 and all the other men were off at war, and he and his friend Artie had all the girls to themselves and woke up in their cars at dawn, disheveled, dirty, thick-lipped, thirsty, sure of themselves, and what came next? When he awoke, he asked for water. Then we watched the jets, though we could not see much more than the field of green, and twice asked me the score. Then, with his voice 
So low, only a motion detector could hear him. He asked, why is it no one understands me? concludes our evening because uh, it's almost 9.40. Uh, if you were on the wait list, I apologize. We couldn't get to you tonight. Uh, the time to sign up for the next open mic uh, is right now on your phones, if you like. Um, the month is it? May? The June YAP will be led by Jay Deshpande, one of our new faculty members. He's teaching a workshop on the ode. The number to vote for poem of the month. Once again, are you ready? All of you who don't have it, 718-374-1953. That's 718-374-1953. The future is a telemarketer. <laughs> what were my other announcements? I don't know. <laughs> oh, fellowships. Fellowships for work, book and votes workshops are May 21st. That's the deadline. Early registration workshops May 28th. And don't forget to sign up for Simone's class. Don't forget to sign up for Simone Carney's workshop. It was when you were saying linoleum, I was taken back to the picture of linoleum that we had in the workshop. So that was a nice uh, coming full circle. If you want to put those anthology, it is in the back for sale, $5 off, only 20 bucks a night. Talk to Arthur about a chapbook if you like. And have a good evening. There you have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic for May 8th, 2017. Big congrats to Kieran Bath for winning Poem of the Month for her poem 20-something, decided by audience vote. Pretty impressive for Kieran, as it was only her second time performing at our Open Mic. Kieran has earned free admission to a future Yop and a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way on December 11th. That would be the December Yop in which Kieran will compete against all the other 11 winners of Poem of the Month over the past year for all the marbles, as they say. In this case, the Poem of the Year Award. We look forward to that. Thanks again to our professor, Simone Carney, for leading our workshop and kicking off our open mic with her own beautiful work. The next Broken Poets Yop comes your way in June. That will be the second Monday of June, June 12th, featuring poet Jay Despande, a fantastic poet who is joining our faculty this summer to teach a five-week workshop called In Praise Of on the Ode. So I'm sure Jay will have lots of interesting things to say about the Ode on June 12th and that you will be working on something Ode-related if you come out to that workshop. For more information about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. You'll find all the information there. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the increasingly warm weather if you are located in New York City. Not quite summer yet, but getting there. 
we will take it over the 30 degree temperature we had for uh, much of the last couple of months, this faux spring weather. And thanks for listening. Be well and stay safe.